Hey everybody, this is Jason here, um, letting you know that this is a special bonus episode of Late Seating, where Steve and I divulge our guiltiest cinematic pleasures. Um, this was recorded once again for when we had a live show on YouTube, and um, so the audio quality isn't exactly what you've come to expect, and also that there are segments there that aren't included in the podcast, and the format is completely different. But... As interesting trivia, this is where I drop the news that the show is converting over to a podcast. So that's interesting, right? Anyway, enjoy. A new review coming out next week. Hey everybody, welcome to Late Seating. This time around, Steve and I decided to completely damage our reputations as film reviewers and um, kind of come clean to, uh, well, there are movies out there that the critics didn't like, that audiences didn't like, but that we personally love. We know that they're technically bad, <laughs> but... We still love them. And so this week we're doing our guiltiest pleasures. We're both Steve has brought a movie and I've brought a movie and we're both going to discuss both of them today. And if you after you find out what they are, if you no longer want to watch this show, that's fine. Also as an update, Steve and I have been talking about turning this into a podcast rather than a live hangout. Um if you guys think that that's a good idea and you would like to be able to have this in a medium that you could download into your iPod and listen to while you're commuting to work or going to school or naked alone in the bathroom, then please let us know in the comment section and uh, we're probably just going to do it anyway. But it'd be nice to know that we have support in, in that decision. So uh, without further ado, I would like to once again welcome my partner in today's unfortunate events, Steve Shives. Hello, my friend. You know, I just want to point out that no less than Roger Ebert himself once gave a three-and-a-half-star review to Spawn. So <laughs> we should have no fear of defending, okay. our, defending our guilty pleasures today. Oh, that's when he probably regretted, too. Yeah, he probably was thinking about that in his final moments. Okay, well, we both have movies at the ready, Steve, as always, go for it. Well, my guiltiest pleasure, or at least the one I've chosen for this occasion, is Kevin Smith's second film, Mall Rats. Now, I know a lot of Kevin Smith fans sort of apologize for Mall Rats, but outside of the Kevin Smith sphere, Mall Rats is not very well. Uh, it's just people just don't like it. It's just not, a, and it's and with good reason. It's not a it's not a terribly good movie. I just watched it again yesterday, and I was I was sort of nervous because I was like, man, I hope this doesn't turn out to be better than I remember it, because then it'll be then I'll have to scramble and pick another movie. And it turns out it's just as bad as I remember it, and yet I still like it just as much as I always have. It's hard to describe why I like Mallrats so much. For those of you who have not seen it, it is it's basically Clerks just at a mall with a few more characters. Um, Kevin Smith had made Clerks for like $30,000. It became an indie hit. It really made his career. Uh, he's been 
dining out on clerks to a certain extent ever since. And Mallrats was his his intended to be his big mainstream breakthrough. He got uh, a proper budget. He got uh, a distribution deal from Universal. He got to, to work with actual actors. He had a, an actual film crew, a director of photography, a, a composer. It was a real movie, kids. You know you've made it when you can get Shannon Doherty in your movie. That's right. She still had that 90210 cred, you know. <laughs> She was about to. I think she was in the uh, about to enter the charmed phase of her career. So she was a. Uh, it was. I mean, honestly, if you're gonna make a movie with Shannon Doherty as the the top billed star, 1995 was the moment to make that movie. There was a very narrow window. Uh, so yeah, it, uh, uh, Shannon Doherty's in it. Uh, a young Ben Affleck in his first of many collaborations with Kevin Smith. Uh, Michael Rooker. Well, you can never go wrong with Michael Rooker. No, and he is really funny in the movie. I have to say, there are highlights in the movie. There are moments that I, I that it becomes not just a bad movie that I like, but it becomes actually a, a decent movie. And the, the Michael Rooker stuff is good, not because and his character. Can I take is... a moment right now? Yeah. A, you don't know who Michael Rooker is. He's been in everything. Oh, He's God. a fantastic character actor. He always elevates everything he's in. Definitely. Um, he oftentimes plays horribly racist people. Uh, you may know him from uh, was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer was his first yeah. first big um, splash. But he's been in uh, he's been in all the James Gunn's films, including this last one, including Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and he was uh, Dale's brother um, in uh, Walking Dead most recently. He is he is one of my favorite actors. Period. And um, so if you don't know who he is, look him up. Find him. Go find his movies. You won't be disappointed. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But no, it's cool. It's well deserved because he is tremendous, and uh, he plays the he plays the the heavy in this, the the evil sort of the 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 father of the girlfriend of the main character, and he's just terrific. Uh, but yeah, the the it's a what eventually became like a boilerplate Kevin Smith plot: two best friends who are comic book fans, or at least one of them is a comic book fan, and they're both having girl troubles, so they decide to forget their girl troubles by hanging out uh, in Clerks. It was hanging out at the video store and the, the, the convenience store where they happen to also be working. In Mallrats, it's going to the mall. And uh, I don't know. It's hard to describe what I like about the movie. It's not, it's, I think it's probably Kevin Smith, if, if it's not Kevin Smith's worst movie, it's his second worst movie, or maybe his third worst movie. I mean, he's, he had a few, he had a run there where he was making some really crappy movies. I Jersey, mean, Girl. Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl. I, yeah, Jersey Girl. I'm not really a big fan of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back either. Uh, you sort of have to have a membership card to appreciate that one. It's like, this is just for the Kevin Smith fans. Uh, but, you know, it, it has its moments, but there's a lot of, uh, oh hey, who's that over there? And then mm -hmm. the plot will move forward. Like he does that. He he enters and exits scenes with that device many many times in this mm -hmm. less than two hour movie where they'll be walking through the mall and one of the two main characters will go, oh hey, wouldn't you know? Look who it is. And they oh, yeah. walk over and it's some new character. And it's so it's it's not very well plotted in that way. Uh, there are some tone problems. I mean the 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 first scene is just a mess. The first scene where. Uh, uh, T.S., one of the protagonists, yeah. uh, pulls up to his girlfriend's house. They're supposed to go on this trip to Florida, and he uh, he finds out that they can't go because a friend of theirs uh, died of an embolism indirectly 
caused by him because he said she looked fat and she mm-hmm. had to go swim in a pool and you know she died of exhaustion whatever and they have this they have this conversation about it and it's hard to tell like from the way the actors are delivering the lines and the way it's shot and to present it, like, are we supposed to take it seriously? Are they making fun of scenes like this in movies? It's mm-hmm. it's really, it, and a lot of that is the problem with Marit's, is you can't, because it, it's one of those, it's like an R-rated comedy. You know, uh, Kevin Smith has stated that was his intention when making was He wanted to do like, you know, kind of like a, a John Hughes breakfast club, sort of like a, uh, a, a, a teenage young adult, comedy but with that was ornery and naughty and had tits and you know like like porkies or something and and he did that but he just didn't do it very good and it's hard yeah. to tell in a lot of mall rats whether it's that kind of movie or whether it wants to make fun of that kind of movie or make a comment on that kind of movie it's just kind of muddled and shitty and and the worst part of it is is that it's just not that funny i mean that's if it were funny that would have saved it all but it's just not that funny and yet i still like it i don't know why I don't know why I liked. I love Jason Lee. Jason Lee is like this was Jason Lee's first movie and his first again like Ben Affleck his first of many collaborations with Kevin Smith, and uh, he is like Kevin Smith's version. Uh, he he is to Kevin Smith as like William H Macy is to David Mamet. Like he's just he knows exactly what to do with this dialogue with these characters. He can slip into that Kevin Smith cadence and it's like he was just born to make these kind of movies and he also is able to elevate some kind of shitty material I mean he plays a a really unlikable character but he's able to make him so funny that he almost becomes kind of charming even though he's you he's also just a horrible person and he maintains that horribleness right up to the end you know yeah uh, so anyway that's that's sort of that's mall rats I mean it's it's not a it's not a good movie Kevin Smith has even apologized for it. Think about that, because if there's an, if there's a mainstream American director who loves the smell of his own farts more than Kevin Smith, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and he said Mallrats was a bad movie. So you know, but I I have was I I it's weird. It's like I recognize that it's not a good movie, and yet I I maintain this affection for it. So. Yeah. You well, go. you know, I, I'm not going to disappoint you. I don't like Mallrats either. It's one of those movies that can't uh, that can't. Uh, uh, maintain. I can't I pay attention to it for more than two two and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> and I think the my main problem with it. I I have watched the film, and I think my main problem with it is is um, he. What is it? He. It's too self conscious. The film itself yeah. is too self conscious. It knows too well that it is a movie. Some of the performances are far too. It's a movie kind of acting. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. That once I and he and it's not just this movie he does it in. It's what happens in Jay and Silent Bob too. It's oh, it's way his more successful films are where he gets away from that. My favorite film of his um, is uh, Dogma, mm-hmm. and that has goofy situations and it has an odd plot line. But he get, he gets actors who are playing those situations realistically. Yes, there's goofy stuff that's happening around, but you can tell that the characters are taking what's happening. Seriously, and there are some really great. But I think Ben Affleck's performance in that playing—I uh, can't remember which which angel he's playing in that—is actually really good. Especially when he's talking yeah. about how you know um, he's he's do things from God, and he wants to get back, and he doesn't care if he destroys all of creation doing it. He you know 
those performances sold that movie, but in Mallrats, it just, everything kind of feels like play acting. There's a part of it that's like, hey, someone shot a high school play that some high schooler wrote. I had that, exa- that exact same thought. It's, and, it, a lot of it plays just like that. Which is funny because there's little, there are a little bit of aspects in Clerks that are kind of like that, but you forgive more with Clerks because it was shot so cheap, because it was, lo- you know, the local actors, you know, people that were just around doing it. Um, and you admired him for shooting on location off hours at the place that he actually worked and all that other stuff. There was a lot of chances that he, that he took, you know, he really put himself out on the line risking a lot for clerks but with this one with the money behind it and it wasn't a huge sum of money that they were no. that they were bankrolling behind it but it was the problems i think are with the script and with the and with the uh, some of the acting some of the performances and and kevin smith has admitted that at this time he was someone who would walk in and actually give a line reading to an actor and say no 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 don't say it like this say it like this so i have to assume that some of those line readings are also directly from yeah. From Smith. Now, here's the funny part. His last uh, Red State and the mm-hmm. movie coming up. His Red State. If you haven't seen it, go see it. If you didn't know that yeah. it was a Kevin Smith film and you went to go see that, you might be able to pick up some things in some parts of the dialogue because he has a very distinctive voice. It's probably one of his stronger traits is that there's no one else out there. If someone tries to imitate Kevin Smith, people go, oh, you're just trying to be Kevin Smith. That speaks a lot to how he writes. And there's a lot of Kevin Smithy writing in Mallrats. <laughs> Definitely. But it's just not... It just it feels very much like, oh, I've got to come up with something. And he kind of said, oh, well, we'll hang out at the mall. And I'm glad this... You know, there's a part of me that's kind of glad that Mallrats didn't do that well. Because if it had done well... What were we gonna get next? I mean, he'd done the convenience store and the the mall, and I guess what hanging out down by the levee would be the next one, or wherever else, you know, directionless youth <laughs> hang out. And I don't want to see that movie. So I agree with you. I don't think it's the most horrible thing on the face of the earth, but I just I've yeah. never I've never liked it. And now, well, and there, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, a couple, I mean, there are there are one or two moments that I do think are legitimately funny, though. Like the uh, oh no uh, no no yeah. yeah. Ben Affleck's character has a line where he says he doesn't respect people who don't have a shopping agenda. That always makes me laugh. <laughs> That's uh, and then the bit something you would say. Yeah. <laughs> and then the bit where uh, Brody is preoccupied with the kid on the escalator. That just makes me laugh. And he's like, that kid <laughs> is back on the escalator again. That that just that kills me every time. Anyway. But that's also Jason Lee being able to deliver that line. Oh, totally. And so, yeah. All right, here it comes. (laughs) I love movies. I love all movies. And uh, in 1980, a movie came out directed by Robert Altman, auteur Robert Altman, a man known for conversational language in his films and, and interesting characters and large ensemble casts. Think like MASH or Nashville or Gosford Park or uh, Shortcuts, which probably has the largest cast that ever in any movie ever. <laughs> so in 1980, he comes out um, uh, a script written by Jules Pfeiffer, the guy who did Doonesbury, and music by Harry Nilsson. Who you know? Most people told him, "Don't work with him. He's going to be drunk the whole time." But apparently, they got together great. Even though Harry did leave partway through, leaving the rest of the orchestrations for the movie to someone else. But the movie that all this talent was behind was Popeye. Popeye, just Popeye. It wasn't even Popeye the movie. It was just Popeye. 
it was based on um, the E.C. Egger, or no, no, uh, E.C. Seeger uh, comic strip way back in the 1930s, not based on the Fleischer cartoons, and it's about, basically, it's a guy looking for his lost father story. Popeye shows up in a small town called Sweet Haven looking for his father, and he encounters you know, skinny, wayfish, erudite olive oil, played by Shelley Duvall, and her family, the Oils, um, uh, Bluto, the large, menacing, monosyllabic um, guy who has a song in it. Oh, by the way, it is a musical. A monosyllabic song called I Mean, because you can't get any more direct than that. You need to have a song <laughs> telling everyone what you could say in just two words. <laughs> he meets Sweet Pea, a small abandoned child, and he finally does find his father, who it turns out... Spoilers is the overtaxing, overbearing Commodore that oversees the town of Sweet Haven. Um, about $20 million was sunk into this film. They actually built a small town in the islands of Malta where it was shot. It's a terrible movie. It is muddled. Um, I, I, I can't say it's ugly because it's not ugly. It has great design, fantastic costumes. Everything looks lived in. There isn't a moment where you don't believe that these people live in the town that they lived in. If it had gone too cartoony and everything was brightly colored and all that other stuff, then you wouldn't buy into it. But Sweet Haven is drab and kind of dingy and um, it looks like a seaside fishing village kind of town. And you know, But I will readily admit Altman, who loves naturalistic dialogue, having a movie where three of the main characters mumble every line that they have isn't conducive to good storytelling. Robin Williams plays Popeye, and he does a fantastic job. He was very young. This was his first major film. He nearly walked off the film at one point. But he turns in a great performance doing a thankless job, which is taking what at that point was an iconic character and turning him into a living flesh and blood person with actual feelings and emotions, which is the other thing that they managed to give some, a lot of these characters. It's disjointed. It, I can't say it doesn't make any sense because it does. The plot is fairly simple. It follows from point A to point B. But it's just, I can't put my finger on what is, I can understand why audiences went in there and, and after 10 minutes, 15 minutes went, what am I watching? There is so much activity going on in the background. There are so many side characters. Everyone has a trait because they're all based almost perfectly on the characters from the original comic strip. And I think the main reason, one of the main reasons why this film did not do that well is that no one knows what the comic strip was like. Everyone knows it from the, from the cartoons that came out in the, the 30s, 40s, and 50s which didn't have anything to do with Sweet Haven, did had, didn't have anything to do with the oils, didn't have, uh, you know, Wimpy was just a guy who wanted hamburgers. He wasn't some scheming guy who was willing to kidnap children to get hamburgers, which does happen in the movie. <laughs> and I know for a fact that this movie is awful, and it's not one of those movies that I can say, hey, come on, I'm going to force you to watch Popeye with me, and you're going to love it, because I know that they'll hate me afterwards 
for watching it. But it's one of those films where if Popeye's on and I turn past it, I go back and I find I fucking watch Popeye from from where I started to the end, and then I go find my DVD of it, and then I'll watch it to catch up on the parts that I missed. I fucking love the music. I love the performances. I love the design. I even love the stupid goddamn ending with the rubber goddamn octopus, and I feel dirty saying this. I don't like myself having to admit that I love this goddamn movie, and I I, dra- I drop a little tear at the end when he finally sings Popeye the Sailor after eating spinach for the first time. There, yeah, happy. Not everyone's perfect. Goddamn it. Sure, I would love to be able to say I only watched Truffaut and I don't like anything American, but <laughs> fuck. I don't know what it is about this stupid piece of shit movie. But I, I cannot not love it, and I think there's part of it is I, I'm a set designer, so I, I really love the set. I really love the attention to detail that they put into it. I love how accurate, because I was a fan of the comic strip as well. I love how accurate and close the characters in that movie. If you took the cast of characters from the comic strip and put it up next to the cast that they got for this movie, it is spot. On. There was it was almost as if they went out of their way to make sure that it was as close as possible to the source material as they could get, which is something that doesn't happen in Hollywood anymore. It's usually like, okay, we're going to adapt a comic strip. Uh, let's see, let's do Tarzan. Does he have to wear the loincloth? Oh, I don't know. Let's uh, maybe a jumpsuit. Yeah, the apes make him a black jumpsuit. Okay, let's put him in a black <laughs> jumpsuit. So, I mean, that's my admission. I, I I can't put my finger on why I love it. I love the I love the music. I love this the crappy dumbass lyrics to the crappy dumbass songs that are in this movie. So go I'm going to say go see it. I don't care. You'll hate me. Fuck it. I don't <laughs> care. I love what I love. Steve, how do you feel about Popeye? <laughs> might you might say you love it because you am what you am. I am what I am and that's all that I am. Um, you know, I I mean, I don't like it. <laughs> it's not a good movie. <laughs> But, but like, but as you say, I mean, there are there are parts of it that are really admirable. The set design is really really impressive, and it's the sort of set that isn't really built for movies anymore. No, it's like a, a big major set that you know that the characters can move through like it's a real place, and the camera can glide through like it's a real place, and and it looks fake. It looks like a set. It doesn't look like a real place, but at the same time, it's fully realized, and they don't really do that sort of thing in movies anymore, creating like these fully realized, yet obviously artificial spaces. On location, uh, you know. On lo- yeah. 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 And... Um, you know, so there's that, and there's just, you know, I agree with you that the, the performances are very good. Uh, you know, Shelley Duvall was born to play olive oil. That, yeah. I, mean, if, if there's I wonder any how reason, that made her feel. You were born to play olive oil. I don't even think she auditioned. They just showed up at her house. We're like, we're making Another, Popeye in your olive oil. Yeah, and well, he, she's an Altman uh, standby. She's oh, a, yeah. She's worked in a lot of his films, as did Paul Dooley, who was playing uh, Wimpy. He was a standby oh. as well. Um, there's a lot of people that you will come to. Donald Moffat, who is one of my favorite all-time character actors. Um, he was in The Thing, and uh, well, I can't name all of his movies. You'd yeah. recognize him. He played LBJ in The Right Stuff and all that other stuff. He plays the tax collector in this. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Ray Walston is in it. Ray Walston plays Pappy and is terrific. A perfect and, Pappy. I mean, yeah. just like... I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm getting uh, empathetic about something no one gives a fuck about. <laughs> but there are. But I think that. 
I mean, it's hard to put your finger on what went wrong with it. Uh, I, I watched it last night, and I was talking to my wife about it afterwards, and I was like, you know, it's, I mean, with a lot of movies like this, you can kind of speculate as to what the wrong turn was. With Popeye, it feels like there were four or five wrong turns. And, oh, yeah. And, and uh, one of the big ones, I think, is that it's it's hard to think of another movie that where where the director and the material were more poorly served by each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, Robert Altman, when you think, okay, Robert Altman, known for a very naturalistic style, known for very smooth, elegant camera work, let's have him shoot Popeye. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it, and it, there's those moments when the really like out there cartoony stuff is happening, like where somebody gets punched and they flip up in the air, oh, yeah. or they do backflips down the down the ramp. I mean, and Popeye Altman, at one point twists his arm around, <laughs> twists his fists around, yeah. so it's all screwed up, and then he punches a guy in the face with it. Yeah, and he does at the end. He does the 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 pipe periscope bit, you know, yep. where it's like, and it's and it's like this is and but it's shot like an Altman movie. Yeah, it's, it's like, shot realistically. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, very realistically. And I noticed, uh, you know, there's, I mean, it's very slow moving, or at least it feels slow moving. It feel, it's, it's less than two hours long. It feels a lot longer than that yeah, when I watch it. Yeah, it feels much longer. And, and uh, you know, there's like there's the the opening where Popeye is coming in on the boat. The moody it, shot of him just rowing, this a lone rowboat yeah. and ambient sound. It looks like uh, the fucking painting that they're talking about in Robin Williams' office in Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the stormy sea on the rowboat, and um, <laughs> and you know, it just feels and it, it feels like forever before Popeye finally gets onto shore, mm-hmm. and then it's it's even longer before you get anything closer than like a wide shot of anybody. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, Popeye's like in the oil's house before there's even a medium shot where you can even make out his face. So it feels very right. removed from from everything, mm-hmm. and it just you know it feels like even I mean, it, it, like how did Robert Altman get this job? <laughs> like, well, I can tell you how. You know? he, uh, tell me. He did about four films that didn't do that well after uh, after uh, um, Nashville. Mm-hmm. And he uh, wanted to remain viable. He wanted to remain a director, and this was something that he was actually interested in doing when it was offered to him. A, a few other directors had turned it down, and he really wanted to make a movie that would be able to put some, you know, say, "Hey, look, look what I can do," and I'm interested yeah. in doing this. Now, the movie itself only cost twenty million dollars to make. Believe it or not, it made sixty million dollars. So, as far as the studio was concerned, they didn't give a damn about what the critics thought. It made its money back, and then a little bit more, and kept Altman you know, kind of still around um, in Hollywood, that he was still viable, because everyone loved his work, everyone loved his style, but a lot of people were thinking, like, well, his kind of movies, who's going to want to go see them? Because they're kind of, I mean, I think the last one right before that was Quintet. And, um, you know, they were like, we like his films, but they're not making any money. So they offered him this. It was a Paramount Disney co-production. Mm-hmm. Which kind of shows where Disney was at the time. Disney was not the the super company that it is now. There was a time where Disney looked like it was going to go away. There would be no more Disney. Disney nearly died in the 80s, guys. For those too young to remember, um, the reason why everyone loves Little Mermaid is because Little Mermaid saved Disney, literally. 
Um, you can go look that up. I'm not going to get into it. But at that time in the 80s, they were trying anything. And so they were like, yeah, let's do Popeye. We'll get the rights from Paramount because they own the, the character. And then we'll go find a director. And, oh, look, we can add this huge name director, this huge name writer. We'll get Harry Nilsson, who, okay, he's a little crazy to work with, but he's a unique voice. He has a unique voice. There's no songs anywhere quite like the songs in Popeye. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that, that's basically how how he how he got the work. He wouldn't have done it if he didn't want to. But yeah. he did. He did have uh, he did have ulterior mo ulterior motives. I don't think this is something that he would have come up with himself. You know, it's odd uh, when I was watching it in in a weird way, but in I mean, it, it makes sense. But it's just an odd comparison that I think a lot of people don't necessarily make. It reminded me of of a Richard Donner's Superman movie. Yeah. In the sense that it's you know a property that wasn't really. I mean, it was looked at as like a kid's property, as like a comic strip or a cartoon, and all of a sudden it gets this big budget, you know, lush treatment with the, you know mm. these big massive sets and. You know, uh, a distinguished cast and a, and a distinguished director. It's like, well, they're doing. It's like they're doing the Superman, the Popeye version of Superman. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it and it seems like it takes the material kind of seriously. Mm -hmm. In fact, it might. I think it takes it too seriously. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, oh God, it's Popeye. Like, why? the one uh, saving grace is that it does have the cutest on-screen baby ever filmed, yeah. ever, and um. That's about it. That's you know, if you like cute babies, you'll love Popeye. Yeah, just but, just search YouTube for the Sweet Pea Supercut. Yeah, <laughs> the Sweet Pea Supercut. Sure, I'm sure there must be one. <sighs> so those are our guiltiest pleasures. Do you guys have guilty pleasures of your own? Then leave them down below in the comment section and let them know. But usually at around this time, we come up with our uh, to the counterpoint. That is, people who feel differently than we do. And considering the literal millions of people who feel <laughs> differently than we do in regards to these, I thought we would turn it over to people, real, honest-to-God critics, that support our choices, that, that, that have our back, that, can, that see the diamond in the rough, or in the poop, in this case, that are the movies that we chose. So I am now going to read two reviews, one for Steve's and one for mine, that support how we feel. And for Steve, it's from Ken Tucker, from Entertainment Weekly, who wrote... Smith's dialogue contrasts vulgar jokes with mock formal vocabulary. As a director, he favors startling sight gags. I am not easily shocked, but the sight of Priscilla Barnes, once perkiness itself on TV's Three Company, and the role here of a topless fortune teller with three nipples was truly unnerving. Whenever you're not chuckling, Mallrats leaves you wondering at the emotional emptiness of suburban youth culture as well as the complexity of it. That's a positive review. That was a fresh tomato on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah. Thank God for, for, for articulate film critics who are able to make their full-of-shit reviews sound intelligent. <laughs> Speaking of which, here's mine. <laughs> Popeye, then, is lots of fun. It suggests that it is possible to take the broad strokes of a comic strip and turn them into sophisticated entertainment. What's needed is the right attitude towards the material. If Altman and his people had been the slightest bit condescending towards Popeye, the movie might have crash-landed. But it's clear that this movie has an affection for Popeye and so much regard for, all, for the sailor man that it even bothers to reveal the truth about his opinion of spinach. 
Roger Ebert. Roger's not right all the time. <laughs> no, right. Roger had some moments there. I think. Well, Roger. Uh, Roger was also a huge Altman fan. He would. Mm -hmm. He liked Altman's films. Um, and he also, like you mentioned before, he gave glowing reviews to certain movies that no one else liked at the time. <laughs> so that's that. Um, and now we'll go into recommendations. This is going to be a shorter show simply because of the nature of it, which is fine. You guys get to have the rest of the afternoon off. But, um, Steve, do you have a recommendation this week? Uh, yes, I do. I actually thought it would be nice to uh, recommend a Robin Williams movie for yeah. reasons that may seem obvious to some people. And and, uh, by the way, if you're sitting there going, yeah. why are they recommending a Robin Williams movie? Go, just type in Robin. Or R-O-B-I yeah. into Google and you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then examine your life because really if you're watching this show <laughs> and yet you don't know why we're recommending this movie. Um, anyway, it's, uh, I, there are, there, I had a whole list of movies that I could recommend uh, that are good Robin Williams movies and also bad Robin Williams movies that you could still watch for various reasons. But I'm going to re recommend a movie that was mentioned on Twitter uh, earlier this week in a disparaging way by one of my fellow atheists. And uh, I'm going to say, fuck PZ Myers. I'm recommending What Dreams May Come because I am a self-respecting <laughs> atheist. And I think What Dreams May Come is a terrific movie. I don't give a fuck about uh, its view of the afterlife, what it thinks heaven is like. The, I, it, it does not reflect my personal beliefs at all, but I find it to be a really, really good movie. It's uh, visually stunning. It, it has incredible special effects, special effects used in a creative way. It doesn't, it doesn't waste a moment trying to convince you that what you're seeing is real. Uh, Robin Williams' character dies in the film and goes to an afterlife that is made out of uh, images taken Spoilers. from... Spoilers! <laughs> yeah, he dies like ten minutes in, so I'm not really... Um, but anyway, he, uh, he goes to an afterlife that is made like of, of images of paintings, and, uh, and it's just really, really well done. It's just visually stunning, and the, the story is like an epic sort of hero's journey. There's something very classical about it. There's like, a, there's like a trip into the underworld, and I mean, it's just, it's a really, really good movie. And yes, it has some flaws, none of which have anything to do with the fact that I'm an atheist. Uh, it can get, it's a little schmaltzy at times. There are times where it goes a little overboard uh, emotionally, but Overall, it's a very satisfying movie. I remember I watched it for the first time when I was uh, working on Christmas Eve. I watched it on a TV set at the, the truck stop where I was working because it was a very slow day because it was Christmas Eve and nobody was there and it, was, it happened to be on. And I watched it and thought, oh, this is a really good movie. And I went back eventually on my own and watched it on video. And, um, it's, it's, it's a really terrific movie. It's maybe a little bit of a, a bittersweet movie considering the fact that he just died and it, the, that's the plot of the movie. <laughs> the plot of the movie is Robin Williams dies. Uh, but but it's, I, it's, it's a really, really good movie. And you might not agree with me, but as a self-respecting atheist, I am recommending What Dreams May Come. So there you go. Um, I didn't like uh, What Dreams May Come 
I well, no, no, let me put it this way. I liked What Dreams May Come. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was a fantastic movie. It did pass, right. however, a litmus test, litmus test for me, and that is it met my quota of Max von Sydow. Because if you have Max von Sydow <laughs> yes. in your movie, it doesn't matter. I'll just watch the Max von Sydow scenes over and over and over and over again because he, once again, is one of those actors who I don't care what he's doing. He's a fantastic actor, and I just love even the one because a lot of people say, "Oh, you love his voice." There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago. It was about the uh, kid uh, in New York City. Uh, Tom Hanks is, plays his dad. He died in the World Trade Center, and he's running around. His kid has Asperger's syndrome, running around trying to solve this last little puzzle that his dad laid out. Max von Sydow did that, and he plays the mute. He's mute. He doesn't. He can only gesture, and he writes things on his hand. Even though he doesn't say anything in the damn movie, he's still a compelling actor, and he's in this. So if you love Max yeah, Sydow, go see it. And the other thing is, yeah, uh, as far as visually stunning, there's a lot of uh, Maxfield Parrish influence. There's a lot of uh, mm. there's a lot of um, very uh, painterly influences on the idea of what the afterlife is. And you know what? If you're such a strong atheist that you're just like anything with the afterlife, I hate. Blah, blah, blah. Then I guess you hate all of the Hercules stuff and Greek gods, and you hate Thor, yeah. and you hate everything else, yeah. anything that has anything to do with something that's not real. So fuck off. Just watch, you know, documentaries <laughs> about gluons and quarks and whatever the fuck else, and leave us alone in our fantasy world. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I would recommend that too. I think that uh, I think the writing's good. Uh, it's uh, believe me, there's going to be a part when you're watching this where you're going, why? Just why is this happening to this family? And, yeah. But stick with it, okay? <laughs> Go follow yeah. it through. You'll get a happy ending. I, I promise you. Um, since he recommended a Robin Williams movie, which is what I was reviewing, I'm going to recommend a Kevin Smith, bleh, Kevin Smith film, and I'm going to recommend Red State. Um, as someone who has been an on-again, off-again admirer of Kevin uh, Smith's films, this was a kind of controversial film only because Smith said, fuck Hollywood, I'm just going to distribute it myself. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, who does he think he is? And he's like, he's obviously someone who's tired of the studio system. And so Red State is not like any other movie he had ever made up to that point. It is not a comedy. It is not it's I guess it would be kind of a thriller horror movie. It's about these these doofus guys who get lured out to the middle of nowhere for a sex hookup. And it turns out it was all a trap by a uh, religious fundamentalist uh, clan, not unlike the Westboro Baptist Church, who uh, then proceed to murder them. It has some fantastic performances. It has John Goodman, and uh, I can't remember the name of the actor who plays the lead preacher. He is currently starring... Oh, Michael Park. Michael Park. Michael Park, yeah. Is fantastic. And for a lot of people who are like who who had seen Kevin Smith's films are like, oh, he's not really a very good director. He really doesn't know how to shoot things. He does things in this film that you did not know that he was capable of doing. Um, there are shots in this film. That, I mean, if you took this movie and you took the credits off and you showed it to someone else, people would say, wow, that's a, geez, that's a bold fucking movie to make about religious conservancy and about about government power and about uh, the, the he ropes in terrorism towards the end. Um, and he has a great fake out also in there, and 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 you get to see Kevin Pollock get shot in the face. And, 
Um, but it was one of those movies where I was like, okay, I've seen a Kevin Smith film. I guess I'll watch it. It finally came on Netflix, and I and I watched it. And I was I was very impressed and entertained and sickened by because the, it, it does kind of you kind of like yeah those sick motherfuckers yeah they do this these these people need to go down and then he takes that and he kind of turns it and he kind of says okay. He doesn't take a middle-of-the-road kind of attitude, but he definitely takes a non-conventional Hollywood approach to this same kind of movie. It does not end like a horror movie, like a horror movie would. If this had been in, you know, Hollywood hands, they said, "Well, do they have to be Christians? Do they have to be waiting for the rapture? Can't they just be a spooky cult?" Oh, how about Satanists? Yeah, can't they be a Satanist cult that's doing it? And can't one of them be left alive and have? special Satan powers so we can make a sequel. <laughs> so it's not surprising that he made it on his own. He made it, I think, over a, a period of a few weekends. Um, it has, like I said, it still has his dialogue. He, it still has some juvenile stuff, but he's writing for juvenile characters in some instances. But what's really impressive is when he's writing for not juvenile stuff. When he's writing for the lead preacher, when he's writing for Parks' character, you have no goddamn idea that this is the same guy who did, did Clerks and Dogma and all of these other films. Mm -hmm. And he has another movie coming out soon called Tusk, which, based on from what I've seen before, also does not look... He's turning into a, a genre horror guy. But Tusk, if you don't know, is about a man who uses surgery to turn another man into a walrus... <laughs> It's a horror movie, and he's also in pre-production for a movie called Moose Jaw, set in Moose Jaw, which he has admitted is Jaws but with a moose. Because he's doing, he's he's decided he's going to make three Canadian films, and the first the first of that is Tusk. There's a second one called Yoga Hoser, um, which is going to be a comedy, and then the last one is supposedly Moose Jaw. But if you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, Steve, have you seen it? Yes, yes. I think Red State is one of his best films. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's the movie after such a long time. It's the movie that shows that Kevin Smith can actually grow as a filmmaker. Yeah. Because even his departures up to that point had been pretty much the same as, you know, a similar style, similar writing style, similar mm -hmm. pace, similar characters. And Red State is very much a, a departure, especially visually. Like you said, if you didn't know it was a Kevin Smith movie, you would never guess that this was a Kevin Smith movie. The, yeah. the way it's shot is completely different from anything he's done before. Uh, and you know, like it's a, it's a it's a really sort of a whiplash comparison to look at how he he shoots and stages action in Mallrats <laughs> versus how he shoots and stages action in Red State. It's a huge improvement. It's a mm -hmm. it's 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 you know it's a really, really well done film. And you mentioned how he writes dialogue for that Michael Parks preacher character. Uh, there's a, a really long speech that that character gives, like a mm -hmm. sermon that he gives, that, that it feels like we just kind of sit there and hear the whole thing. And it's very it's paced very patiently and we just hear him give this full sermon to his congregation and i mean it it almost sounds like like something that you would you would hear in in like a, a late period tarantino movie you know what i mean yeah. it sounds like you know one of those long soliloquies that tarantino would give you know in to to a character in inglorious bastards or something where they're just unspooling this verbiage and it doesn't sound like anything kevin smith's ever written and it's a really, really, really good movie, especially if you're someone who generally is like, oh, Kevin Smith, whatever. Like, it's something <laughs> to have a look at. 
Okay, that's it. You have our recommendations. You now know our dirty secrets. Uh, if yeah. you guys have anything you want, <laughs> do you feel better? I do. I feel like I'm. I, I feel like I'm a better person. <laughs> if you guys have guilty pleasures, leave them down below. If you have suggestions for what we want to review next, I think we actually came up with what we want to review next. But did we did mention? We? I think I don't know. I think I it was know. mentioned in an email exchange. It doesn't matter. Uh, let's yeah. waste their time and argue about it here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for watching. Uh, like I said, the videos may disappear, but we will uh, start it up as a podcast. I don't have a time period for that yet. It's all a matter of logistics, trying to figure out how we're going to record it. Um, um, you know, sound quality wise, or if we're going to do a do it via via Skype, but uh, it would allow us to be able to edit it together and get a, like a real show with an intro and all that other stuff. And that way, you're not tied to your desk having to listen to us babble on and on. Because quite honestly, if you're tuning in for the visuals or watching Steve and I, who appear to be wearing matching T-shirts today for whatever reason, <laughs> um. We coordinated. We coordinated. We, 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 we do make some effort. Just for the ladies. Yes, um, yes. But uh, we may switch over to that format. So give us a yay or nay on that, and we'll ignore it and just go ahead and go to podcast anyway. <laughs> uh, but thank you, everybody. And as always, go see a movie this week. Dave? Yeah, do that. <laughs>